Hi everyone, I'm Tara Mont, and you're listening to the Trust and Thrive with Tara Mont podcast. I created this podcast along with my blog and brand to hopefully inspire others to live their most authentic life. I truly believe that we all have the power to live a life we love, and to do so, it's so important to be in tune with ourselves and be open to growing and evolving. I believe that once we can trust ourselves and our vision, that's when we can thrive. So with this podcast, I plan to discuss all things to do with self-reflection, personal growth, mindsets, and self-belief, all aspects that affect us in our everyday life. If you feel connected to my message and want to listen more often, I will be sharing one podcast a week, so make sure to subscribe and stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. So last week I recorded a solo episode. And like I said, that was only a reflective episode. It was in no way trying to speak for a black man or woman because I will never, ever, ever understand what it's like to be a black man or woman and just what it's like to be in their shoes in the same way I will never know what it's like to be in a white queer man's spot or a black cis woman's shoes. So it's just obvious, but that was my perspective as a white cis woman about what I've been learning about anti-racism and what I hope to do and a lot of internalized racism I've been recognizing, a lot of colorblindness in my own life and what steps I'm taking to be better. And this is only the beginning, obviously, other than voting on policies that help the black community and people of color and so much more there's real work to do you can't just sit at home and say i'm changing the world but it's important to also do the inner work and to recognize that within yourself so that we don't pass down internalized racism through generations and that my kids will learn to talk about race and will learn to to understand the realities of what's going on I'm so excited to have Black Voices on the show to share their thoughts and their experience and expertise. With that said, I'm really excited to introduce this week's guest. His name is Josh Odom. Josh is the founder and curator of Healing While Black, an online space devoted to normalizing conversations around mental health for Black and Brown queer, transgender, and gender nonconforming people. Currently, he is a first-year student pursuing a Master's of Social Work. He understands his mental health is inextricably linked to anti-blackness and queer antagonism. His goal is to provide comprehensive and anti-colonial therapeutic intervention for marginalized communities in New York State. It was a real pleasure chatting with Josh, and I think it's so important to also hear the perspective of a black queer man, you know, because like he said, experience he has as a black queer man is different than a black straight man. I think now with everything going on and the fact that it's Pride Month, I felt it was so important to talk about this intersectionality and to acknowledge these different parts of ourselves. And obviously, we touch on the Black Lives Matter movement and his experiences as a black man, but we also discuss what it's like to be a black queer man and there are people in the lgbtq plus community that are racist it's not like just because you support one doesn't mean you support the other which is unfortunate but it's a reality and a truth that josh mentions and it's something that we need to acknowledge because you can't just support the lgbtq plus community and not support black lives you can't just say oh i'm going to pick and choose which lives matter to me so thank you to josh for being so open and honest, I told him right before the interview, I said, please call me out. You know, don't, if I say something wrong, if I say something that doesn't come off in the right way or that I need to correct myself on or I wasn't aware of, please let me know. Not saying that it's his job in any way, you know, but that 
I'm open to that and to let me know if in the middle of a conversation I say something. And there are times he corrects me and I was so thankful for that. And to be honest, I feel like you can even tell sometimes I was nervous. Um, This was an episode I recorded like really recently. And as I started doing more anti-racism work, and I think I was worried, you know, about saying the wrong thing. It's okay to be nervous, to make mistakes, as long as you're open to having these conversations and be open to being accountable and being corrected and doing better. So with that said, I'm excited to share this interview with you. Let's get right into it with Josh. Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. So before we get into the nitty gritty, can you just start off telling us about yourself and what you do? Sure, sure. So um, hello, everybody, um, all of your listeners. Um, my name is Josh Odom. I'm the founder and curator of Healing While Black. Healing While Black is an online platform dedicated to the mental health and wellness uh, of black, queer, trans, gender non-conforming and non-binary people. Um, I started the platform about four years ago under a different name, but I've been working under the moniker of Healing While Black for a little over a year and a half now, and it has taken shape uh, due to my own shift in my life, my own experiences of mental health, with depression, with sexuality, um, and then my transition into social work. So I'm, I'm currently studying uh, for my MSW. I just finished my first year. So the intention is to uh, have Healing While Black um, serve as an online platform um, of advocacy for mental health, but I have plans and uh, goals to become a, a practitioner and a clinician myself. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And so appreciate what you're doing. And I'm curious if you don't mind sharing what you feel like your experiences as a black queer man have been, um, how that has shaped you. So um, it's, it's really interesting right now because a lot of things are coming full circle in that there are a lot of, 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 people asking black queer folk, black trans folk to compartmentalize uh, parts of their identity. And um, let me, I want to be perfectly clear that the conversations that are happening amongst black people regarding sexual orientation, gender identity and expression, those are in-house conversations. Um, I know white people and non-black people of color have a lot of issues um, of, of homophobia, queer phobia and trans antagonism that they need to work on. So I suggest they work on that and we are going to have those conversations in-house. Um, I just wanted to say that because I've seen a lot of people um, who are not black jump into those conversations about uh, pro-blackness and homophobia and queer antagonism and that is not their lane. Um, that is not their place at all to be telling black folks how to how to maneuver within their blackness. Um, I don't want to say that, but um, my experiences have been, have been balancing my sexuality and my uh, my understanding of myself as a black man and figuring out where do I have sanctuary, where do I have solace, and where can I go where in which my full self, my whole self can be can be present and I don't have to compartmentalize any of those identities. Um, and it's, it's been difficult finding spaces in which both of those things can be present. However, um, the beautiful thing about social media is that you cultivate these spaces, you can build these spaces in and of yourself and people come, people gravitate to it. And 
it's a beautiful thing to see black queer folk, black trans folk, black non-binary folk uh, come together and bask in our beauty. Mm-hmm. And I think it is such an interesting time, especially obviously with the Black Lives Matter movement going on, but the fact that it is Pride Month. And so I feel like it's really important that you acknowledge that. And I know you recently made a post about, you know, if Black Lives Matter to you, all lives all lives matter to you, but you're homophobic or you're transphobic, that doesn't really mean anything in the big scheme of things. So can you explain how maybe you felt like, you know, it's so important to acknowledge all aspects, the intersectionality of each individual and not just, okay, this part of you is important, but if you're like this, that doesn't matter or you're not worthy. Absolutely. And you, you, you said that key word, the intersectionality of it all. We have multiple identities, a lot of us. We have um, identities that compound our oppression and make it more difficult to move throughout the world. So if you are not advocating for all Black lives, Black queer folk, black trans folk, black disabled folk, um, the list goes on. If you're not advocating for all of us, you're advocating for none of us. And if you are, if you're, if you're, if you're solidarity, this goes for, this goes for a lot of folks. If you are advocating for the people who are, who are more closely aligned with the systems that we are trying to dismantle, you need to really reconsider what your politics are, because that doesn't do anything for anybody if we are still having folks who are further oppressed be oppressed and folks who are again more closely aligned just take the spot at the top of pre-existing uh systems that doesn't really that doesn't work for me that doesn't work for me at all definitely it's not like competition in that way and i think you know people forget to acknowledge the lives of you know whether they're black or white transgender people who have been murdered for you know being who they are and killed for that reason and so it's important to also highlight those stories especially um right now and so i'm you know i think with everything going on I think it's so important to acknowledge how you're feeling and that pain, especially for black individuals and the fact that, you know, white individuals will never understand the 400 plus years of oppression and suffering. I'm really curious as to your thoughts on acknowledging your pain and suffering and shame and just accepting that those emotions are real and valid no matter what anyone else says. So if, if I understand the question correctly, it's it's taking that time and that space to understand that black suffering is real. That is not the totality of our existence as black people. However, we do have to acknowledge and we do have to address the fact that we have gone through, we continue to go through trauma on every day, on every single day. That trauma, if that trauma is on a micro level or it, if, if it's um, as blatant and as physically violent as black people being killed by the police, we have to acknowledge that trauma and its, its impact on the way in which we live our lives. I also feel that black people are worthy of being supported and galvanized without trauma, right? And I think a lot of folks, they center black life and they center black experiences around the trauma we experience. And they do not take into consideration the holistic experiences that we have, right? I, yes, the fact that we are talking about this in this moment shows that we are having to deal with a lot of trauma. However, to, to reduce the, the experiences of Black people to solely trauma, that is also anti-Black, right? So it's a fine line of we have to talk about these things. We have to be in these things. And when I say we, I mean we have to talk about them 
in-house, but also white people have to understand that this is a real thing that impacts black people every single day. Mm-hmm. And black joy is real. Black rest is real. Black love is real. And that is just as if not more important than talking about black suffering. That's so beautifully said. And you know, I so appreciate that because I think it's easy as a white individual to ignore these conversations and not even intentionally. You know, people say, I have good intentions, but if you're not having these conversations and getting involved, you're you're playing part in that racism. You're playing part in that white privilege. And, you know, you're not it's it's on you if you don't as a white individual have these conversations. And so I'm curious as to like especially this week or in general, if you've noticed like maybe some wrong ways people have tried to be an ally, whether it is they think they're the white savior or this whole idea that they think they're superior and they have to fix everything when it's not the case at all, obviously. And so can you explain maybe some ways you think someone can be uh, an authentic ally or the wrong way to approach it? So I want to start off by saying I've, I've removed the term ally from my vocabulary because mm-hmm. it doesn't go as far as we need it to go. Um, I use the terms or terms accomplice or co-conspirator now because if you're an ally, that's that's great. It's cool. You know, you can share uh, a, a black square, you can put a Black Lives Matter sign on in front of your house, but what actions are you taking to be anti-racist? What actions are you taking to shift material resources that you may have toward black people? And if you're an accomplice, that is something that you understand as your responsibility and as your duty. Mm-hmm. If you're a co-conspirator to Black Lives, you understand that as your responsibility and your duty. And that is not an identity that you wear because I, I, I really do, I really am growing tired of, of people wanting to be noted as an ally and that be an identity that they self-identify with and they ascribe mm-hmm. to themselves. That's it's not how this works, right? You don't get, a, you don't get, the, you don't get to do that without, for, well, you don't get to do that, period. And the more important thing is, how are you gathering the white people that are in your circle? How are you, again, reallocating resources, whether it be money, um, uh, time, energy, whatever you may have at your disposal, to black liberation? And you're doing this because you understand that your liberation is tied up with our liberation. And this isn't some performative allyship about putting a black square on your Instagram and then washing your hands and saying, I'm done for the day. No, that's not, that's not allyship. That's not accomplishment. That's not being a co-conspirator. You're just performing and we don't have time. We never had time for performative allyship. And we definitely don't have any time for performative allyship now. I, I so appreciate you sharing that and your thoughts on that. And, you know, it's, it's something that I think a lot of people think by staying quiet, they're doing the right thing or by not having these hard conversations or making mistakes, they rather not deal with it. But, you know, like, for example, like this is something new that I'm learning, like, oh, that makes sense that maybe using the word ally could come off wrong. That's something to think about and something I think a lot of people, you know, need to have those conversations within their inner circles and do that work and even call out racism in their families or with their friends and, you know, learn about black history and actually do the work behind the scenes and not just post something and then maybe go live their lives and do whatever they want. And so I think mental health too. I know you talk a lot about mental health and I feel that there's a lot of emotional labor labor maybe that people are asking. Like I'm I know a lot of people have posted about getting DMs of people saying like I feel so guilty or how can I help? How can I do this? You know? So like 
how important do you believe it is to take care of your mental health right now and be okay with resting and taking that break and knowing that it's not the responsibility, your responsibility as a black man or woman to teach other people, you know, they have to do the work themselves. Absolutely. Um, you said it yourself, it's not our responsibility to teach you about anti-blackness and um, also remembering that before these uprisings started, we were still in the midst of a global pandemic that was disproportionately impacting black lives. So I say it to all of my friends, I say it to all, everyone who um, I, I, run, I run with in my circles that our first responsibility is to stay alive because we have seen over the past three or four months that there are many systems that have abject, ab, that are abjectly failing us in order to keep us safe in the midst of rampant police violence and in global health and public health. So our first responsibility in my opinion, is to stay alive. And on top of that, racism is a white person's problem. We did not invent racism. We did not have any stake in this. White people invented racism, so therefore it's white people's responsibility to end it. And I really do feel that if anyone should be out on the front lines um, going with police, going at, going after police and, and, and standing down with police and donating to these bail funds, it's white people. Right. This is what we're talking about when, we, when I say accomplishment and co-conspiratorship or allyship. What are you doing? What is your stake? What are you putting forth? And how are you doing the work without tasking black people of staying alive, avoiding police violence, trying to avoid getting sick and all the other things that we normally have to deal with as life as black people? And on top of that, having to either quell your white feelings, massage your guilt and do unpaid, un unreciprocal labor. So, you know, I, I would tell all of your white followers, if you're gonna do anything, you need to figure out how you and other white people can get together and not lean on black people to educate you. And if you are going to do that, you need to compensate them. And like, I'm not sure if you've heard people say, whether it's a white individual saying, you know, I'm not racist, I have a black friend, or they just, they make all these excuses where it's obviously ignorance and they haven't, you know, they don't realize what it is and that we all have internalized racism. And it's just the fact that we live in a society that benefits white individuals and that's just fact. And so what would you say to people who think like, oh, well, you know, or they get defensive and they think I can't be racist or I'm not a part of the problem. You are a part, you are racist and you are a part of the problem. That's what I say mm -hmm. to them. Like you are absolutely racist by even saying that and you're part of the problem by denying that and you are inherently committing a violent act when you talk about your black partner or your black child or your black friends token you being you tokenizing them and trying to make yourself seem as far away from the folks as possible so that's that's what i'd say i'd say that you really need to do some deep investigation of your racism and figure out how to get yourself together that's that's really it so you know obviously this is like so new for so many people and like you said there's guilt and shame and they want the comfort of someone else to say no you're fine no you're okay and so what are you th what do you think are some like key components that are so important like for me i believe like self-awareness and accountability are essential. You know, if I were to get defensive every time someone corrected me, I would be a part of the problem again and I would never be, you know, helping things change. And so it's not about me. It's it's about, you know, actually being accountable. And I'm curious as to what you think can really 
create change within? Like when it comes to the inner work, what are some essential factors? So I'm not, I'm not really, that's not where I put my energy towards. Mm-hmm. You know, again, my, my page is dedicated to healing black folk with a special intention and emphasis paid on black LGBTQIA folk. Um, there are a, a litany of ways in which white people can go and receive the knowledge that they need to begin that process of unlearning their inherent racism. Um, I will say go to no white saviors. I say go and, and watch. Um, there, are, there, are, you know, there are a lot of white people who have uh, tasked themselves with gathering other white people. Um, I'll shout out no white saviors. I, I will shout out um, I'll shout out them because they are really intentional about checking other white people. And I know that if you don't have any other white people around you to check you, then that's saying something. But in terms of what is starting that, in terms of, in terms of starting that process, I don't really have much for white folks except you are getting to, we're getting to, we're at a point where History is not going to absolve you from standing on the fence. History is not going to absolve you from your silence, right? And I would really recommend folks read um, Dr. King's letter from a Birmingham jail because we love to um, throw out these sanitized quotes from Martin Luther King without talking about how he explicitly called out the silence of white moderates and they have been a consistent barrier in the fight to justice. So that's something that I will say is like, what side are you on? You need to pick a side and you need to do the work to not only educate yourself, educate people around you, but also again, reallocate material, material resources to the black folks that are fighting white supremacy um, in their life, in your life. And so for a black individual who, you know, you know, obviously mental health is so important and whether or not they've been to therapy or they've dealt with their emotions, what are some tips and tools you have and maybe you recommend to people on your page? Understanding that racism, white supremacy, anti-black racism, police violence, violence against black women, violence against uh, black trans people and black femmes um, have a real impact on our mental health. Um, which is why I choose not to uh, repost any images or videos of black people being assaulted or killed on my page. Um, there, there is no shame in you, A, not watching that video, B, not recirculating that video. There's no shame in that at all. Um, that does not make you any more or less of an activist or an ally, or, or that doesn't make you any less of an activist or any less down for the cause. Um, understanding that again, like our, our, main responsibility is to survive, right? Our main responsibility is to survive and unplugging social media detoxes, um, uninstalling apps for considerable periods of time is perfectly fine to preserve your mental health, right? I I really do encourage um, black people to lean into um, all of the things that bring us joy and bring us peace and comfort because there's not there's not a lot of that right now. If you look on the news, if you look on social media, there's black death, there are police beating up elderly people, 
women and children, macing, shooting them with rubber bullets. So with all of that consumption, there needs to be an outlet for us to have joy and have peace and have rest, even if it's momentarily. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm glad you bring that up because obviously it's so valid to say like racial trauma is real and all that is real. And I appreciate that you bring up the fact that, you know, you're not defined by that. You're not simply defined by all the struggles and all that hardship and you know, it's so important to see yourself as a human being and as a black individual who can experience joy and obviously all the other human emotions. And so I know on your page, you, I think in your um, bio, you have the only way out is through. And so can you explain um, what that means to you? Yeah, Um, that's a personal quote for me, um, dealing with trauma. Um, I realized that I was trying to move, move through this trauma um, in every way without explicitly facing it and explicitly facing how that made me feel. And what that did was push me into a deeper depression. So in order to heal, I really needed to face that trauma that I was, was, was trying to avoid. Um, so that's it for me. Like the only way out for me was through, I had to go through all of those negative emotions. I had to go through the feelings of, Whatever feelings that came up, I had to sit with those. I had to move through that. And I had to I had to get to a point where I could face those things and face myself um, as a result. But I wanna I wanna just go back to one thing that you said was that the the process of black people experiencing a litany of emotions is something that has been denied us for generations. These these and, and again, this is also why I really feel compelled not to share any videos of Black death on my page because there are there are archives of that. There are people who are resharing that all the time on their pages. And if white people are only seeing Black people in various states of distress and disarray and discomfort and abuse and violence, that does something to the way in which they view us as well. So I really do appreciate and I really do center um, and uplift black joy in this time because there needs to be a, first of all, that's, that's for, for us first and foremost, that is necessary. Like rest and joy are our resistance and you'd be hard pressed to convince me of otherwise, but there needs to be these images of us. You know, we struggle, we organize, we fight, we rebel. We, we do all we need to do, but in recognizing our humanity, there needs to be an understanding that we do more than just die. That's, that's, yeah, that's so powerful. And even just like the example of, you know, the media portraying or people saying, for example, I hate to say it, but it's like what you would hear growing up, like an angry black woman or just these horrible stereotypes that, you know, if a white woman were angry, you wouldn't see that in the same way. And it's insane that like, we put these horrible, just mind-blowing for me too, because there's a lot I'm realizing that it's so ridiculous that for being simply human and for experiencing certain emotions, it has to be taken in such a different way, in such a different light. And so what would you tell people who right now, whether they're a white or black um, queer person who feels like they they are going through the same struggles and they're kind of struggling with their self-worth and it is Pride Month. So what would you tell people in that community? 
oppression is real, but you cannot, we cannot equate struggles. Um, I, as a black queer man, my, my identity and my struggle is very different from a white queer man. And my, my identity as a black queer man is not the same as a black trans woman, a black queer trans woman. And yes, like there are, there is, there are struggles. Everybody struggles. There's oppression. There are, are, there are moments of, not even moments. There, there is, there is, there are things we have to go through. However, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not in the business of equating struggles and, and making it seem like everyone's struggle is the same because it's not. Um, especially during Pride Month and talking about the ways in which um, white people who are um, members of the LGBT community can sometimes co-opt movements, co-opt black movements. And I really want to be intentional with what I say here is because this can go into a conversation in which uh, folks do not feel that black queer people can advocate and live our truth in black lives. And I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is that a white queer person needs to confront anti-blackness in the LGBTQ community if they're going to call themselves an actual accomplice. Because if we're going to talk about pride, we can't talk about pride without talking about Marsha P. Johnson. We can't talk about pride without talking about the fact that pride was a literal uprising in which black and brown, queer and trans people, black trans women were confronting police in, in the streets in front of Stonewall. And if we're not talking about that, we are erasing a large part of this history that centers black people. And if pride is a, a white thing, then that is a historical. So I'll tell them that, you know, there, there, are, there are real, real, um, there are real, real issues and things that we have to face. And coming into one's sexual orientation or one's gender identity and expression are hard. They're really hard. But I can tell you right now, it's harder for a black queer person mm-hmm. or a black and or a black trans person to do those same things because we also have to deal with anti-blackness within the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community. So if you're going to be an accomplice, you have to unlearn that anti-blackness within yourself and really hold down black members of the LGBT community because it is extremely much, it is a lot harder for us to do so. And if you don't mind sharing, do you do you have like personal experiences from even someone in the LGBTQ plus community who, you know, you would assume that you're all on the same page, but of course they're going to be queer people who are racist and who are anti-black. And so do you have personal experiences that maybe even shocked you or that, you know, made you see it differently? Yeah, well, it's it shocked me when I was younger. Um, at this point in time in my life, you know, I, I realized that that solidarity is an act and just because we share an identity does not mean we're on the same page but yeah i've been called the n-word in particular bars i've been i've been pushed out of spaces because of my skin color because i'm darker because i'm bigger because i'm I'm taller um i've been fetishized so all of these things play into my understanding of my life as a black queer man and the the lack of safety that i can find sometimes or i found in um, white queer spaces. So again, all that to say is just because we share a particular identity does not mean that we have the same view of ourselves and have the, and the, same, the same view of this struggle. Mm-hmm. 
And I want to ask specifically, say for a listener who is a black queer man or woman, and maybe they are just coming to terms with their sexual identity. So um, what would you, what advice would you give to them if say, whether it is in their household or their community, it's something they feel shame for. And on top of that, they're obviously going through the struggles of just being a black man or woman. So what would you, what advice would you give to them on coming out and finding that strength? There are people, there are communities out here that will affirm you as your whole self. Um, I am sorry, I am so sorry that you are having to experience this violence from people who claim that they love you. Um, And I really want folks to know that there are unapologetically black, unapologetically queer, unapologetically trans people that will take you in and accept you full identity you will not have to compartmentalize parts of yourself for the the, the comfort of others. Um, I would really uh, cha- I would really recommend um, going onto social media um, and seeing all of the different spots that have dedicated themselves to not just queer people, but queer Black people and our liberation and our peace and our safety. And so, when it comes to even just dealing with one's emotions and taking care of one's mental health i'd say alone being a man is already a hard part of that because you know we think oh women are we see more women therapists and we think women only talk about their emotions and being a black man and then being a black queer man i can imagine only imagine that dealing with your emotions maybe if someone has put more shame on you whatever that is how important do you believe it is to take care of your mental health and what advice would you give to people on doing that if maybe they don't easily have those resources in their life? It's so important. Um, Racism not only impacts our physical health, but our mental health as well. Um, There are, um, there was actually just a study that was released um, a few months ago that was put out by Boston University School of Public Health, which talked about the impact of, of, um, anti-blackness and police violence on the mental health of African-Americans. And again, those studies really prove what we've known for a long time. However, there are now resources being um, allocated to make sure that black folks um, have comprehensive quality mental health care from black professionals, from black queer professionals, because oftentimes, if you are sharing your experience as a black person, as a black queer person to a white cisgender heterosexual man or woman, they oftentimes, or they can end up doing more harm than good because they can't understand that, that, that feeling of fear when the police pull up behind you. They can't understand that feeling of, of absolute terror when we see another black person being killed by the police. That is not something that they can directly understand they may be able to empathize but to be able to speak to that feel sphere excuse me to be able to process those emotions with folks who understand and look like you means the world of difference so i will say that again there are a lot of people a lot of pages black men heal black men feel black mental health black mental health visibility the loveland foundation rachel cargo all of these people are dedicating themselves or have dedicated themselves to providing quality comprehensive 
mental health and therapeutic services to black people, to black queer people. And so I would really recommend if you need it, um, I'm a resource. Um, I love connecting folks to other folks who do good work in this field. So if anyone needs it, please, please feel free to reach out to me. I appreciate that. Thank you. I'll definitely make sure to include like all your links in the description of this episode. And, you know, I even the whole idea of gaslighting and making other people feel like their feelings aren't valid. You know, I feel like that's very common. And especially right now, I feel like it's very easy for people to say to a black man or woman like, oh, you're you're being so dramatic or put them put you down for your experiences, which is so beyond insane. And it's just it's something that I feel like I'm sure happens as a queer man as well. And as a black man, can you talk about like maybe how you've been able to set emotional boundaries and if people don't validate or respect what you're going through, like how have you been able to stay strong within and know that your feelings are valid and that no matter how people make you feel about your experiences, they are what they are. Yeah, so it's not it's not just insane. It's not even insane. It's it's violent. Let's you know mm-hmm. you gotta call it what it is. Like the act of dismissing and gaslighting is an emotionally violent act to make someone feel like what they are seeing and feeling is not real is a violent act so i'm very big on calling it what it is like that is that invalidation is very very violent it has very real consequences in terms of protecting myself i i'm very big on i'm i am not going to commit any more of my time my energy to people who are committed to their misunderstanding so if if this is how you feel if you feel that black folks are you know are exaggerating they're making this up it's not that bad, then I haven't, like, there's absolutely nothing that I can do for you. My job, again, my job, I'm very comfortable in my role. I'm very comfortable in my, in my calling in that what I do is for black folk and black queer, trans and gender non-conforming folk, especially. And so I don't have any obligation to tell a white person who really doesn't want to hear me mm-hmm. anything. So again, I'm sure that there, I hope that there are people out there that will sit down and, and give you the time to really process this and let you see what you're doing and how bad the situation is. But by that, that by no means has to be me. Um, again, like I keep saying it, you know, our, our biggest responsibility as black folk right now is to, just make it through the day. And I'm not putting forth any more emotional or intellectual labor than I already have to. So um, that is a boundary that I'm very um, hard pressed on. It took me a long time to get here. However, the circumstances that we are living in right now do not allow time for me to not only coddle white feelings, but to engage with people who are not willing to even sit down and have a conversation. That's my way of going through it. It's, um, it served me well. It has allowed me to sleep well at night um, or sleep as, as well as possible at night. Um, yeah. You know, I think there are people who genuinely want to learn and be better. And then there are other people who just want the validation of like, oh, just tell me I'm a good person. Just tell me I'm not racist or make me believe that. Is that something even just like within the past week you've noticed? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's all of them are infuriating, right? Because on the one hand, you have people who want to do well and who are 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 good intention, right? And um, 
somebody, I remember the quote, like the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I really believe that in that intention is fine, but the impact that you have on somebody is more important. If you are here saying that I'm a good person, I want to learn, but you're consistently re-traumatizing black people, you're consistently demanding of their time and their energy without even compensating them, that intention means nothing. The impact that you're having is far greater than whatever you came here to do, right? And then on the top of that, then you have people who want that validation of, well, I'm not racist and I'm a good person and what have you. And that is just inherently untrue, but let's just entertain that for a second. What is, if I, let's just say I, I told you that you're not racist, right? Fine, you're not racist. I wouldn't even believe it. Well, you know, does, like, what does that do? Does that bring George Floyd back? Does that bring Breonna Taylor back? Does that bring Nina Pop back, Tony McDade? Does that, does that change the inherent function of the police? Does that stop police from shooting women and children and the elderly, pushing them down on the street, cracking skulls? Like, what does that do to change the reality in which Black people are living in? If it does nothing, then that, that need to feel good about yourself is also is totally meaningless. And, you know, I've seen posts like that. And I think a lot of people are saying too, like, black lives is not your reason to like have another white self, white self-development moment or to feel good about yourself. This is not, you know, this is not a little trend for you to feel good or for you to think you're a good person and move on. Like you really have to be doing behind the scenes work and just be actually helping in ways you can and not only focusing on yourself. I know your whole page is about healing. And so I think a lot of people think, the process of healing is linear or that you reach a destination whether it is anxiety depression whatever you're going through thinking that like okay now i'm okay now i should be fine um can you explain how complicated it is to heal and how it's never ending and how maybe vital self-compassion is yes yes healing is a is a daily act that requires time patience um compassion and effort. Um, and I think that's one thing that, one of the things that we, we, we speak about a lot, at least in my circle is that, you know, I kind of push back on this idea of being labeled as a healer. Um, I don't like that, that, that distinction because I don't believe that I heal people. I think we, we give people skill sets. We have a skill set that allows people to have tools to process and, maneuver with the trauma that they've experienced so they can still they can live as healthy of a life as possible but to suggest that you're healed suggests that the trauma goes away and it doesn't right like we 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 really have to be intentional with our language about how we approach healing because if we're if we're going to approach the work from a feeling of you know once you get to this desk first of all this it's not a destination there's no destination we, we, we continue on this work um, for the rest of our lives, knowing that the journey is never ending. And if we're treating it as a destination, we're setting ourselves up for failure. And then on top of that, how do we, how do we be gentle with ourselves, knowing that there are going to be days when we, we, we fall back, when we falter, when we go back to some habits and tendencies that are not really self-serving? or that are self-serving, they're not really healthy. And being able to be gentle in that process because it's going to happen and it doesn't make you any less of a person, it doesn't make you deficient, it doesn't make you weak, 
we're we're navigating a lot right now, especially in this time, and we need to be we need to be okay with the fact that we're not going to be okay every day. Um, healing is difficult. It's very difficult. It's it's ugly. It's messy. It's it's traumatic sometimes. The process of of, of healing, but for me, I would much rather be on this path than to continue to be in the space of toxicity that I was before I started this process because that was truly self-serving and it was it, it did not benefit anybody, not even myself. And, you know, it's very easy and common for anyone to repress their emotions and then it can turn into, you know, something physical or an addiction or something way worse. And so, like you said, I think it's so important to acknowledge that. And even now, like we're doing the whole, it was like the whole Amplify Melanated Voices, which I think is great with the intention that you're not, once again, expecting black individuals to do that emotional labor and say, oh, you do all the work. This is up to you, because like you said, racism is a white problem. And so for black individuals who are listening to this and maybe they feel burnt out or they feel overwhelmed, whether it is with what they're doing on social media or the conversations they're having in their lives, what advice would you give to them? I know you talked about maybe, you know, take, taking time off of social media. Um, so what does like self-care look like to you in that sense? Self-care looks like social media breaks if need be, social media detoxes if need be, um, making very hard boundaries with people about what we're going to talk about and what we're not going to talk about. Um, I've had people, you know, just talk to me and say, look, we're not talking about anything that's happening in the street right now. I just can't. And being unapologetic in those boundaries and knowing that this fight is going to be a long fight and we need everybody and we need everybody to make it through. My goal is to have all my peoples make it to the end of this fight and we can see the fruits of our labor. And there's already, there's already so many things that are trying to deter that goal and to stop it from happening. So I'm very big on folks taking time, taking space, doing what they need to do to be okay. Because again, this is going to be a really long fight and we need everybody to, to be okay with their lane, right? And I've been seeing a lot of different posts about the activism and the movement requiring a lot of different skill sets. And that doesn't always look like being on the ground shouting at the cops. Um, so we need, we need the healers. We need the people who are going to, um, to bandage folks. We need the folks that are going to cook for folks. We need the folks that are going to watch the kids. We need the folks that are going to, to you know, do what they need to do to raise money for the folks that are on the front lines. Um, all those things are important and none of those things make you any more or less down. I'm so glad you brought that up because especially obviously with COVID and at-risk individuals or people with autoimmune disease, there's a lot of guilt, I imagine, for not being able to show up. I appreciate you saying that there are so many different lanes and ways you can help. And so overall, the show is about living your most authentic life. And one reason I love asking this question is because obviously everyone has such a different experience. You know, a white woman is going to have a different answer than you are, for example, or, or someone else. So for you, what does living your most authentic life mean? It's a world in which we are free of police violence, free of exploitation, free of oppression. Um, where we are not replicating the same systems that oppress us in the first place. Um, we have 
the ability to, um, when I say we, I mean black people, black queer people have the ability to move into spaces as our full selves and enjoy what, what our ancestors could not enjoy, which is living their authentic truth and moving into that and being fully actualized in whatever that looks like. Um, I see that as my full, I see that as my authentic self being the, the, the loud, black, queer, masculine person that I am and in doing that without fear of repercussion, without fear of judgment, without fear of my safety being compromised and doing that for as long as I feel like it. And so for someone who is, say, a 10-year-old black boy who is coming into their own and they are a queer boy, what advice would you give to them if they feel like right now it seems like the whole world's ending and they feel like they don't have the support? Oh, uh, um, I really want to just, you know, you know, take them under my arm and just, you know, let them see um, what life is like at 25 um, and just telling them that it is going to be very hard. There's going to be times in which you feel like giving up because there are definitely times that I felt like giving up. Um, and just knowing that you are full, you are whole, you are not deficient. All the parts of you are divine and glorious. And there are people, again, there are people that are coming ahead of you that are doing the work that we do to make sure that you and your queer and trans and non-binary siblings can enjoy a life of peace, of, of happiness and fulfillment in your Black queer body. And I'm just thinking about what I needed when I was 10 years old, when I was 13 years old coming into myself. And I really needed someone to say that this, you have a lineage, you have a story lineage of people, of Black queer people who have made the world a better place. And that is your history, that is your narrative. You come from powerful, glorious people, and it is not going to be easy, but or not but and it's not going to be easy. And the the life in which you can live is so much greater than you can even fathom. You know, this black queer life, it's it's hard. It's 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 really hard, but there's so much beauty inside of it. And so that's what the, that's what I do what I do is for you know, those, those little kids who needed somebody to look to, to, to tell them that it's okay and it's going to be okay as long as we keep fighting for them and they keep, they keep that hope. Mm -hmm. So beautifully said. Um, I so appreciate you being here so much and I so appreciate your honesty. For someone now who is listening, who is a white individual, I'm curious as to your thoughts on in general, like what you think they can do or even just start with to really be there and to really show up and to, you know, not just use words, but to take action. The first thing that you can do is is pay Black creatives, pay Black people, play, pay Black queer people, pay Black queer artists to to do what they need to do to organize, to survive. Um, like Shishi Rose says, that is the lowest 
rung of the accomplice ladder. You uh, providing those resources, monetary resources, for us to do what we do, that is literally the first thing, the lowest form of activism that you can take in to be in solidarity with Black lives. On top of that, that's, that is an education that I am in no place or energy to facilitate, but there are white people, um, white accomplices who are educating white people as to how to be in solidarity with Black lives. Um, but yeah, if, you want, if, if folks want to start somewhere, they can start by, by paying Black people. And with that said, I believe you have a Patreon. Can you share, can you share maybe um, now more information on your work and where listeners can follow you? And- yes. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at Healing While Black, all one word. I also am on Twitter, Healing While Black, but the black is spelled B-L-K, Healing While B-L-K. Um, my Patreon is also found in um, my bio on my Instagram. If you need it, it's just Healing While Black on Patreon. We are putting out content that is set to decolonize mental health uh, and provide accessible resources for Black queer folk, Black trans folk who are seeking out mental health services and who are fighting against uh, queer and trans antagonism and um, white supremacist violence. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for being here, Josh. And for overall, just living your truth. I so appreciate that. And I know that's something so difficult to do. And I know you just being yourself and living your truth is inspiring so many people. So thank you so much. I appreciate it. Appreciate you. Thanks right. so much. I hope you enjoy that interview. I'm so thankful to Josh. There's so much I've been able to take away from this episode. One important concept to acknowledge is this whole idea of compartmentalizing identities and haven't really thought of that recently but for josh for example he explains how he should not have to compartmentalize being black and being queer he should not have to compartmentalize those identities we have to accept all parts of ourselves and another takeaway i found important is him bringing up um, this whole idea of being an ally because we're all talking about being a performative ally versus authentic ally and how to really be an authentic ally and using the word ally. And he explains how he prefers the word accomplice or co-conspirator because ally is not enough. It's because when you say you're an ally, it seems like you don't have to do that much. But if you really want to help and if you really want to create change, you have to be an accomplice. You have to put in the work to support black business owners, to support black individuals, to vote for policies that help their communities and help benefit them as well. And so I took that away, this whole idea of being an accomplice other than an ally, because I've been seeing that around Instagram a lot, even like how to be an ally or how to be a good authentic ally. So that's something I'm reflecting on. If you want to learn more about Josh, you can follow him at Healing Wild Black. You can support his Patreon. I signed up. I've been already getting emails from him with his work, and I'm really happy to be there and to support and to learn more. So make sure to give him a follow to check it out. All that information will be in the description of this episode. You can also follow the Instagram for the show at Trust and Thrive or my personal Instagram at Tara.Mont. Next week's episode is going to be a really great one as well. So make sure to stick around, stay tuned, subscribe, and support Josh, support his work, and let us both know what you were able to take away from this episode. 
So thank you to Josh. Thank you to you for being here. I so appreciate it. And I will catch you all next Thrive Thursday. 